Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Come check out musician Matt Waller live at Walters on Saturday, August 20th. Register for free at waltersdc.com. Free beer included. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One nothing Cubs. Here's the set. The runner doesn't go, and the pitch is blasted deep left center. Forget about it. A long home run for the rookie Christopher Morel makes it three nothing Cubs. The set. The 0-1 to Contreras. Swinging a ground ball. Base hit into left field. Morel rounding third. He's being waved in by Willie Harris. He will score as Hernandez lobs it in toward third. RBI single. Wilson Contreras. Cubs five. Nationals one. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, August 9th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Wrigley Field in Chicago. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Before we get to another Nats loss in a season that is overflowing with Nats losses, I am happy to share some good Nats news with you. Yes, there is still such a thing as good Nats news. Baseball America on Monday put out an updated list of the top 100 prospects in baseball. The Nats had five players among the top 55. Never mind five in the top 100, five in the top 55. So as we now are at a week since the Nats traded Juan Soto, at least there is that. An organization that not long ago was like barren in terms of prospects now boasts five of the top 55 prospects in the sport for Baseball America. Unfortunately, the Nationals organization also continues to lose games at the major league level at a, shall we say, frightening pace. A 6-3 loss at the Chicago Cubs on Monday night in game one of a three-game series. That's now a major league worst 36-75. and 75. That works out to a winning percentage of 324, which works out to 110 losses over 162 games. Uh, yeah, the Nats, as we speak, on pace for a 110 loss season. And Mark, I don't know mentally how much you've budgeted in terms of losing, but I guess that we shouldn't dismiss, I don't know, 115 losses, maybe even more. I mean, we don't know how low this is going to go. Oh boy, Al. It's funny, the other day I was looking at the record, 35 wins, what, 36 now, and just thinking about the remaining schedule, and especially as bad as they've been against the NL East, and figuring, okay, how many more wins can we realistically expect from this group? And it's hard to come up with more than about 15 more wins. And that gets them to the low 50s. That's atrocious, obviously. That's what they are, unless there's a significant turnaround in the performance. And 
I suppose there could be, especially if we see some younger guys here before it's all said and done. Maybe some of those five of the top 55 we might actually see before this is all said and done because they certainly can't have any worse results than the 26 who are up here right now. It's pretty bad. And I think the hardest thing about this for everyone who's watching it is that the vast majority of these guys are not part of the long-term plan. And that makes it harder to watch them lose. You can accept losing with building blocks for the future. Right now, there's very few of them here that are contributing. Yeah. I mean, we're watching guys who are here to just eat up innings and eat up plate appearances and just play out the rest of this season. I mean, at this point, this season for the Nats, it's just about crossing days off the calendar and getting to the offseason. With those aforementioned five Nats prospects among the top 55 in the sport per Baseball America. So the top three are all guys who the Nats got from the San Diego Padres in the trade of Juan Soto and Josh Bell. C.J. Abrams, shortstop, is the number 11 prospect in baseball. Outfielder Robert Hassel is the number 25 prospect in baseball. Outfielder James Wood, the number 39 prospect in baseball. And then the other two are guys who the Nats took with recent first round picks. Uh, Outfielder Elijah Green, number 52, and starting pitcher Cade Cavalli, number 55. Brady House, by the way, is not in the top 100, but it does say something that Cavalli now, at least for Baseball America, is the Nats' number five prospect, as opposed to having been the Nats' number one prospect as of a little more than a week ago. That's a good sign. He's obviously pitched well over his last 11 starts. I think it's a 2.2 ERA, a whip right around one, more strikeouts than innings pitched, and the clock keeps ticking, and we keep looking at this and saying, when's it going to happen? Is it going to happen soon? Is it going to be a while. I tried to press Davey Martinez a little bit without mentioning Cavalli by name before this game here, referring to the fact that they have an off day Thursday. That's Patrick Corbin's spot in the rotation. And I said, you know, is there a chance to use that off day as, as an opportunity to do something different, either skip a turn or make some changes, do anything different? Davey wasn't going there yet. He just said, we're trying to get through this series first, and then they'll figure that all out. We'll try to get get through this these next three days, and then, like you said, we we'll reset Thursday. Uh, we'll come up with a plan uh, moving forward. But if ever there was a scenario that would seem to make some sense, we I know you guys talked about the other night what Corbin is doing at this point and what value is there still in trying to put him out there every fifth day. Cavalli lines up close to that, and if they wanted to. They could have him slide right into that spot in the rotation, whether it's the next turn, two turns down the road, whenever it might be. I understand why organizationally they want to make sure that everybody is 100% ready to go. Don't rush it. Don't base these decisions on what the performance of the big league roster is. But that said, given the state of things right now, you cannot tell me that psychologically it wouldn't mean something to start seeing these guys up in the big leagues, to see Mackenzie Gore once he's healthy, C.J. Abrams at shortstop, Cade Cavalli in the rotation. You can't tell me that wouldn't mean something. Even if they come up here and they struggle to some extent, that feels a lot better than what we're watching right now. So with C.J. Abrams, Tim Shovers brought this up on the last installment of the podcast. What is the idea behind having him have this like one or two week stint at AAA Rochester? Like if you're going to be calling up soon, why wouldn't you just have him up now? What is the purpose of him playing at Rochester? I think that what I gather, and this is similar to what they did with Cabert Ruiz last year when they acquired him. Remember, he was at AAA for just a couple of weeks and they called him up. I think they want to get him in with the 
staff that they have there, both the coaching staff, the training staff, who in theory are practicing similar things to what they do at the big league level here, at least have an opportunity where if they needed to pull him out of a game early, they could just sort of like manage his workload a little bit, get him in tune with what they're trying to do here. But I did get the sense all along that it was not going to be long, that it could be one or two weeks and that would be it. And I would not be surprised if we're getting close. He's already had a few moments there at AAA that make you say he's probably ready for it. But you know, also, I know he played a decent amount for the Padres this year. He struggled somewhat. Very different situation, a team trying to win, and he was filling in for Fernando Tatis Jr. at shortstop. But you also, this isn't somebody who is clearly a full-time big leaguer right now. He still needs to prove that he is that. So I don't think there's that much harm in spending a week or two down there, just making sure everything is fine before you make the move. I do think it's going to happen here pretty soon. I would imagine by the next homestand, we see him at some point during that. One more thing on the prospects. We got a good email on Monday night from Scott Abelman. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. He asked about the issue of service time manipulation, and could that at all be behind, especially what's going on with Cade Cavalli? And, you know, manipulation, I mean, we're not trying to suggest something nefarious here, but just that the Nats don't see a purpose in starting his service time clock given the state of the team and given that Cavalli, you know, still could kind of go either way in terms of whether he's major league ready. Do you think service time is at all entering into the thinking, especially with Cavalli? I mean, I think it always could. You always have to have that in the back of your mind. But I believe that for it to make any difference, they would have to not call him up this year, but then wait like three weeks next year before calling him up. If he doesn't come up this year, but he starts next year in the opening day rotation. Well, that's a full year of service and you've got him for six years now. Whereas you wait three weeks, you can get him for seven years, you know, of that. So if they really want to play that game, it's going to be, you know, late April of next year before we see him. I don't think that's what's going on. I really do think it's a case of them wanting to make sure that he's got everything ironed out. I mean, he's been good, but it's not like we've been so good that he demands it. It's more a reflection of what they have up here instead of him that you say, well, obviously he's better than that, or it's more worthwhile to see him versus what we're seeing here. But like we've talked about, to their credit, they're making that decision based on his development. And if they think that there's still something there that he hasn't quite mastered, you know, I can understand that. And I think it's more for baseball reasons than for service time reasons. And the other part, we've talked about this too. They're definitely watching his innings this year. And if it's easier down there to limit that before you call him up so that you don't end up being in a situation where you have to shut him down before the season's over, I could also see that playing a role in all this. Yeah. I think also too, I mean, just to be blunt about it, if you're Mike Rizzo, you really can't be thinking about Cade Cavalli's free agency six, seven years from now, okay? You have one year left on your contract. You got to do what's right for you and what's right for the team in the now. And you got to be thinking about how do I get this team back to being competitive sooner rather than later. Now, you can't be reckless, but you know you also can't be planning for Cavalli's free agency six, seven years from now because there's a pretty good chance you won't be here six or seven years from now. So, we shall see with the prospects. But that was good news with Baseball America on Monday. And I was like, as I'm watching the game on Monday night, I just kept reminding myself of, hey, five of the top 55, that's pretty good. So whatever happens at Wrigley on Monday night, the Nats do have that going for them.
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, Two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back-to-school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now the wind of the pitch. Swing a high drive, deep right center field, chasing back Ortega to the warning track. The wind trying to knock it down, but it can't. It's gone. It clears into the bleachers in right center field about two rows in. And Luke Voigt has another home run against the Cubs. His second with the Nationals gets the Nats on the board. It's 3-1 Chicago. As for what did happen at Wrigley Field on Monday night, uh, another Nats loss and another ho-hum offensive performance. Now, the Nats did homer twice on Monday night. A rare has been the multi-homer game for the Nats this season, so we did have that. But, you know, what you basically had offensively on Monday night were the two home runs and then not much else. So the Nats scored three runs, had just eight hits, two homers, and six singles. Worked just one walk. Uh, the two homers did come from two new Nats, uh, Luke Voigt and Joey Manessis. 
So Luke Voigt continues to hit here in his uh, short time as a Nat. Voigt on Monday night as a Nat starting first baseman and number three batter, one for four with a solo home run. He, in what was a Nat's one run six, had a one out opposite field solo homer to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1, the homer going a projected 421 feet per stat cast. We've said this with Voigt, he can hit, and so far he has hit over five games with the Nats. And then Joey Manessis, uh, he on Monday night came off the bench and had a big pinch home run in what was the Nats' two-run eighth. Joey Manessis, a pinch, two-out, full count, two-run homer to center field to cut the Nats' deficit to 6-3. He had been down to the count 1-2, the homer going 405 feet per stat cast. So if nothing else, uh, we did have a couple of home runs at Wrigley Field on Monday night by the Nats. Yeah, and what's funny is I came into this game thinking, well, nobody's going to hit the ball out tonight because the wind was blowing straight in from left field. It was cold. It was 66 degrees with a strong wind. The kind of conditions you expect here in April and May, not so much in August. And so I thought, well, this might actually benefit Annabelle Sanchez and it may prevent the ball from leaving the yard. And instead, both teams hit two home runs and three of them went to left field straight into the teeth of the wind. So who knows what I know about anything. The Voigt thing, the key there, 421 feet to the opposite field. And I asked him about this after the game and he said that is an especially good sign for him. When he's going well, he is able to drive the ball that way. He learned to do that with the Yankees because think about a Yankee stadium the short porch and right field, Derek Jeter made a living off of hitting cheap home runs that way. Luke Voigt's aren't cheap homers, but he learned how to drive the ball to right field. And it looks like he's continuing to do that here. That's a good sign. Listen, he's in a tough spot. You get traded from a contender to a last place team. And not just that, but you're now asked to be like the focal point of the lineup. He's never been that before. You're the number three hitter on this team. I give him a lot of credit. He has continued doing what he was doing before the trade. He's handled this all really well. He's taken on this responsibility that he never expected he would have. I don't know what the future holds for Luke Voigt with the Nationals, but so far so good. And that's been a nice thing to see for a guy who could have taken that situation and just said, well, forget about it. I'm just going to play out the year. I don't really care about what happens here. He has not done that. Uh, Unlike maybe some others who looked like they were sleepwalking through this game, Luke Voigt's been playing hard. Yeah, and we will get to the sleepy third baseman for the Nationals coming up in just a bit. But yeah, you know, I guess if you're Luke Voigt, I mean, he's already bounced around MLB a decent amount. He was with St. Louis. He was with the Yankees. He was with San Diego. And now he's with the Nats. And I'll say this about Voigt, and I always feel this way, about guys who go to especially the Yankees in terms of the two New York teams and do well. There are a good number of players who do not do well under the pressure of New York. That's probably the number one pressure spot in baseball, New York City, especially the Yankees. And some guys crumble under that pressure. And Voigt didn't. Voigt was a very good hitter for the Yankees over parts of four seasons. Uh, His total OPS for the Yankees was 883, 520 slugging, 137 OPS plus. So, you know, to me, it's like if you can do it there with all of the pressure and media scrutiny, et cetera then you should be able to handle, you know, being the number three batter for a 110 Nationals lost team, you know, and it's like, I think he could probably do that. And I think it says something about his mental makeup that he can handle something like that. So he's been fun to watch so far. He's doing a good job. And look, I know Joey Manessis isn't some hotshot prospect. And, you know, he's one of these kind of minor league lifers, age 30 season. This is his 10th minor league season. But we know he can hit some. We've seen that in his brief time with the Nats. And uh, he obviously did hit with the home run on Tuesday night. You can always tweet us at Nats underscore Chad. Mark Suhu sent us a photo of him at Wrigley Field on Monday night wearing a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. So we appreciate that. 
He also said that we need a nickname for Joey Manessis. I'm not sure that there's an obvious one, but uh, maybe one will come as time goes on. And uh, I guess if he hits, keeps hitting pinch two-run homers, then something is going to come up in terms of a nickname for Joey Manessis. Yeah, you put me on the spot. I got to think of something now. Every time I hear his name, I think of Manassas, Virginia. I don't know if that really works in any way, but maybe there's something to be uh, had there, something about a battlefield or, or something. I don't know. Maybe there is something there. Look, like a lot of these other guys, I know he's not young, but he is new at this. There's a hunger there and he's been waiting his whole life for this opportunity. And he's going to make the most of whatever opportunity he gets here. And so for a team that's so bad and losing as much as this, you can't have enough of those type of guys who actually are motivated right now. And so if it's me, I'm putting as many of them out there as often as you can. Maybe they're not quality big leaguers. Maybe they'll be exposed over time. But you know what? The results can't be any worse than what we're seeing. Look at what the product has been. So give me some hungry guys who are in the big leagues and glad to be here and trying to make the most of it. And you know, until they prove that they shouldn't be out there, why not? What do you have to lose right now? Not much because you <laughs> you know you're losing 100 plus games. So there ain't much more that you can be losing beyond that. So yeah, you had the two homers on Monday night. That was good. Beyond that, not much else happening offensively. Lane Thomas did get on base three times, single walk into hit by pitch. Nelson Cruz did have two singles. But, you know, the Nats these days, they're just not in a position where if they don't score five, six, seven runs, they're going to be in a position to win games because the pitching continues to be really bad, especially the starting pitching. That four-game sweep at the Phillies this past Thursday through Sunday Really one of the worst series from a starting pitching standpoint that you'll ever see a major league team have. And the bad starting pitching for the Nats continued on Monday night with Anibal Sanchez. Anibal on Monday night, four runs in five innings. Gave up seven hits, two homers, a double, and four singles. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts. Uh, He again had a very high pitch count, five innings. He threw 91 pitches, 56 strikes versus 35 balls. He did begin his outing with two perfect innings, so he looked good initially, but then in the bottom of the third, he allowed three runs on two homers and a walk, and then in the bottom of the sixth, he got charged with a run as he began the inning by giving up back-to-back singles and then got pulled from the game. You know, you mentioned earlier, one of the tough parts about right now is seeing guys who you know are not part of the future. We get it with Anibal Sanchez. He is not part of the future. The results, though, really have not been good uh, for him in this go-round in the Nats rotation. He now has made five starts for the Nats this season at the Major League level, and Anibal has allowed 22 runs, 21 earned in 25 innings. That's a 7.56 ERA. You know, I guess you say, who else? But boy, I mean, the results really have not been good. Well, and the crazy thing is that this was actually improvement from him because he made it to the sixth inning which is something he had only done one previous time. And the ERA actually went down from 765 to 756. Integral steps here, you know, little tiny positive steps forward, if you want to call it that. Really, it was one bad inning. He started off great, six up, six down. And then all of a sudden in the third inning, he goes, homer, four pitch walk, homer. And that changed everything. You know, he gets through the fifth. He's only given up three runs. And you're thinking, well, you could pull him here and maybe be satisfied with it. But like you said, the state of the rotation has been so bad. There's been so much to ask of the bullpen that I think Davey felt compelled to at least let him try to start the sixth inning, gives up back-to-back singles, that's it, and then one of the inherited runners scores. 
So I think the final line ends up looking a little bit worse than it really was. Now that said, the home runs are happening at a staggering rate. We talk about Josiah Gray giving up too many home runs. Josiah is giving up 2.4 homers per every nine innings. That's a ton. He leads the majors with 28 given up. Annabelle now has given up eight in 33 innings, I think, and it's a 3.1 per nine innings. That is staggering how much that's happening. And that's really the way he's getting beaten. And again, I thought with the wind blowing in, it might actually benefit him and it wouldn't be an issue here. Was not a problem on this night. They still got enough. Who knows where those balls, they probably would have landed on Waveland Avenue if not for the wind instead of just landing in the bleachers. But this is who he is. That's not going to change all of a sudden. This was probably the best you can expect from him. And it came against a weak Cubs lineup with the wind blowing in and he still gives up four runs over five plus innings. That's who he's going to be at this point. I mean, just to put it in perspective, Sanchez has allowed eight homers in 25 innings. Joanna Doan this season for the Nats at the major league level has allowed eight homers in 64 and two thirds innings. I mean, when Joanna Doan is lapping you in terms of preventing the home run, what does that say? And, you know, we're at this point right now that's so tough. But if you think about the Nats rotation in the moment, right, you think about the five guys who currently make up the Nats starting rotation Josiah Gray, Anibal Sanchez, Patrick Corbin, Corey Abbott, and Paolo Espino. Four of the five guys you can make a very strong case should not be in any major league team's rotation right now. Talking about Corbin, Sanchez, Abbott, and Paolo. I mean, that's a tough spot to be in when you have four of the five guys who you realistically could say do not belong in a major league starting rotation right now. And the guy who you're arguing does belong leads the majors in home runs allowed in Josiah Gray. Boy, that is a rough spot to be in. And I know, you know, some of this is Eric Fetty's on the 15-day injured list with shoulder inflammation, although, you know, it's not like he's some lights-out starter. But man, when's the last time the Nats were in a predicament like that where four of the five guys you could argue not only don't belong in the Nats rotation, but aren't major league caliber in terms of being starting pitchers right now? Now, I, maybe in the 08-09 seasons when they lost 100 games, they had some terrible rotations back then. But I was thinking about this today. This team right now, at least, is worse than that in that on so many nights, it just feels like they have no chance. Back then, yeah, they lost a ton of games, but they were more competitive. They'd get a good start or they'd score a bunch of runs and maybe lose the game late, something like that. These games, for the most part, they are down and they don't ever come back. The final score was 6-3. It never felt that close. It never really felt like they were in this one. Now, I am surprised that that's what the state of the rotation is right now. If you asked me a couple months ago, I really thought that the second half of the season could end up being better than the first half, mostly because of what the rotation had the potential to be. I thought by now we would have seen Cade Cavalli. I thought maybe we'd see Cole Henry. I bought into the idea that Steven Strasburg could maybe be pitching up here. You thought Josiah Gray was going to continue to make progress. You just you thought it was going to be, maybe Joe Ross would be a part of it. Like the potential names that were going to be a part of this seem to be much more encouraging than obviously what we're now seeing at the end result of this. This is, who can we find? Who are the five guys we can put out there? Okay, this is the best we got. Okay, yep, that's all we got. We're just going to have to go with this until there's somebody better. And there isn't. Now, Fetty's, you know, making his way back, but that's not some huge improvement for them. They tried out some kids in Jackson Tatro and Evan Lee, but they're hurt, not coming back anytime soon until they decide to make the call and, and bring up Cavalli and maybe Cole Henry, who hasn't pitched in a while himself. 
there's no hope in sight there. And I don't know what else you do. I mean, you want to see Yoana Doan again, <laughs> which is maybe where it's going to go eventually, but his numbers are just as bad. But they've got like three different pitchers who've started a decent number of games for them this year have ERAs over seven. That's it's staggering. How is that possible? It'd be possible. It'd be happening. And, you know, I had to laugh while you were just talking. You said the name Steven Strasburg. Is he not like a ghost right now? I mean, you don't hear anything about him. I mean, nothing. I mean, the team tells you nothing. There's no update about how he's doing. It's just kind of presumed at this point that he's done for the season once again. The only thing that I've seen really reported on him was something that John Heyman of the New York Post had a few weeks ago saying that the expectation is that Strasburg is out for the rest of the year. And I don't even know if that's a report because I think most logical people would arrive at that conclusion. But man, I mean, you know, there's been a lot happening with the Nats. I'll grant you that. But you hear nothing about this guy. They don't tell you anything. And like, I don't know, has he like disappeared? I mean, nothing. He made one major league start. He got hurt again. They said he was going to rest up. And that's it. Like, (laughs) they don't tell you anything about this guy these days. So what was about a week ago or so when the Tanner Rainey, Tommy John surgery news came out, that was in response to a question asked about both Rainey and Strasburg of Davey. Rainey news obviously was the bigger thing because there was a real development there. With Strasburg, all that he said was he's not really doing anything yet, meaning he's still letting this uh, stress reaction in his ribs heal. I have seen him a couple of times at the ballpark. But he's in and out. He's not really around the guys. He's not sticking around. And, you know, you don't see him in the dugout during games, anything like that. He's kind of persona non grata. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, if somehow he comes back, whether it's this year, next year, whenever that is, great. But I don't think there's anybody around here who's counting on him being any part of the plan. No. I mean, and it feels like he's done. I mean, that's what it feels like. It feels like we may have seen his last start given kind of where this is at here. But it is something else. I mean, your biggest money player, one of the biggest names in franchise history, your World Series MVP, and you hear nothing about him. It's like he's disappeared. You know, And he, he probably likes it that way because we know how he is when it comes to media attention. But yeah, it just it's very strange to me. All right. So we mentioned someone being asleep on Monday night during the game. So three Nats relievers on Monday night combined to allow two runs in three innings. We had Steve, Ceshack, Hunter Harvey, and Mason Thompson on display. Hunter Harvey in the bottom of the seventh allowed two runs, but in the inning was more incomprehensibly bad defense by the Nats. The runner takes off for third. Harvey steps off the rubber, throws to third. Franco dives for the tag, but it's too late. So Franco wasn't at the bag. Harvey tries to throw to third, and Ortega steals third, and Contreras goes into second without Harvey even delivering a pitch. I can't remember the last time that I saw that. This was really strange. Franco caught the ball and then kind of like stopped on his way to third base. I don't know what he was thinking, what exactly was going on there, but man, was that a bad look? And was that another one of these, you know, sloppy, like bad news bears type defensive moments for the Nats this season? He was asleep at the wheel. There's nothing else you can say about that. He was just clearly not ready for that possibility. And it's not like he didn't have time. The guys yell, he's running. Hunter Harvey heard it. He stepped off. He threw right to him. Franco took about two steps forward and then just stopped. Didn't finish the play. And he also later in the game had a really wide throw. And they called him out at first. I guess they're saying Luke Voigt made the stretch. It didn't look like he did, but Cubs didn't challenge it. Look, It's a bad look 
for someone who we haven't really talked about him. And I, I get that he was never supposed to be in this position to begin with this year. He's only become the everyday third baseman because of Carter Keboom's injury. And he had Tommy John surgery, remember, and won't be back until next year. But at this point, Michael Franco has a 592 OPS on the season. We talked about how bad he was last year for the Orioles. This is worse. His numbers are worse this year. In Nationals history, no offensive player has ever had more than 500 plate appearances and produced an OPS lower than 616. That was Wilson Ramos in 2015. And right now they have two guys on pace for it. Franco at 592, Cesar Hernandez at 611. Victor Robles is at 612. He doesn't have enough plate appearances. He's probably not going to get there. But Hernandez and Franco, two veterans who they know their stop gaps. They know they're just here to finish out the season for them. But if you can't even provide some kind of quality at the plate and in the field and be paying attention, I'm not sure what is being accomplished at this point to continue to put them out there. I mentioned earlier guys like Joey Manessis and these others who are hungry for playing time and want to make the most of this opportunity. If you have players like that and they're here or at AAA, I don't see how they could be any worse than what you already have from some of these veterans who have no future with the organization. And it feels like at this stage of the game, they know what the score is. They know what's going on and they're not giving everything they've got. And that's a really hard thing to say, but watch what we've been watching here. It's hard to dispute that that's the case. I think my favorite thing from the four-game sweep at the Phillies was Cesar Hernandez on Sunday refusing to talk to the media after the game. Uh, your colleague Bobby Blanco tweeted that out, and uh, I wanted to scream when I saw that. You're Cesar Hernandez. Unless you have, like, you know, a family emergency or something like that, who are you <laughs> to say you're not talking to reporters after the game? Is there justification for this? I mean, I don't want to crush the guy if there was like something going on. But otherwise, who the heck are you, given the season that you're having, to refuse to talk to reporters after a game this season? So I wasn't there. I was off all weekend, so I don't have firsthand knowledge of it. I've talked to a few people about it. Everybody was surprised by that. That's not really his personality. He's a very friendly guy, very soft-spoken. He's not somebody who seeks attention. But I'll be honest. For somebody who plays every day and has basically all year, I could probably count on one hand the number of times we've requested to talk to him after a game, mostly because he just hasn't done enough to warrant it. You try to pick the players who had a significant effect on the game, good or bad. And then every once in a while, I think this was the case on Sunday in Philly, you just look for a veteran who can maybe speak to the larger situation. They don't have a lot of those guys anymore. Josh Bell did it a lot. He held that responsibility a lot. So... It didn't seem to me that it's an unusual request to ask for Cesar Hernandez to talk after that game. Everybody was surprised by it. He didn't scream and yell. He didn't storm off anything like that. He just kind of politely said, no, I don't really feel like talking. And that's that. But both he and Franco have had long careers. They've had some success along the way. I'm sure this hasn't been fun for them, what is going on with this team. But you know what? You've got big league jobs and you're playing almost every day still. And there are others who would love to have those jobs and have the opportunity to play every day. We'll see what they do here moving forward. But C.J. Abrams comes up like we expect, and Luis Garcia gets bumped to second base. 
Cesar Hernandez is either going to spend the rest of the year on the bench or they're going to make a different decision and decide to cut ties altogether. Yeah, they could maybe learn something from Alcides Escobar, who handled his demotion professionally and by all indications always acted like a pro. It costs you nothing to act like a pro. You're getting paid good money. You get treated like kings. These guys fly on great flights and get given these great meals. And like you said, a lot of people would kill to be in those spots. Well, you tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats chat podcast, email Tim Shovers at Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can do as our friend Mark Suhu has done and get yourself a Nats chat podcast t-shirt by going to Nats chat podcast dot square dot site. That's Nats chat podcast dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. Remember, five of the top 55 prospects in baseball for Baseball America. Just keep saying that to yourself over and over and over and over again as uh, you go through the rest of this Nats season. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. And now the pitch. He runs, swing, and a long drive. Deep left center field. Did he hit it well enough? He did. It is gone. Goodbye. A two-run home run for Joey Manessis up into the seats to the right of the 368-foot marker in left center field. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.